If you open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 3, we'll be reading verses 14 through the end. And if you are using the church Bible, it can be found on page 977. If you're using digital, I have no idea. For those who are visiting, just to let you know, uh, this is a continuing study. You might have figured out I'm not Liam Gallagher. Um, He is away on vacation. Uh, As I've had opportunities, I've been working us through Ephesians doing the high altitude uh, observation of Ephesians itself. So that's what we're doing. If you want to get more detail, keep coming because Dr. Gallagher is going to be preaching from Ephesians this fall. There's a purpose behind this, and that is to get you ready for the details. So let's read beginning at verse 14 of chapter 3. For this reason, I, Paul, bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask Or think according to the work at power within us to him. Be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Prayers can be very interesting. Joe Bridges just sent me a story about one that I'd love to just read for you. A pastor asked an older farmer decked out in bib overalls to say grace for the morning breakfast. Lord, I hate buttermilk, the farmer began. Visiting pastor opened one eye and was wondering where it was going. And the farmer loudly proclaimed, Lord, I hate lard. Now the minister was really growing concerned. Without missing a beat, the farmer concluded, And Lord, you know, I don't care much for raw white flour. At this point, both of the pastor's eyes were open, and he was looking around and seeing a few other people were a little concerned and a little uncomfortable. Then the farmer added, But Lord... When you mix them all together and you bake them, I do love warm, fresh biscuits. So, Lord, when things come up that we don't like, when life gets hard, when we don't understand what you're saying to us, help us to just relax and wait until you're done mixing. It'll probably be even better than biscuits. Amen. Now, in our study so far in Ephesians, we've learned that God's design, his resolve, is that we will appear before him holy and blameless. That's chapter 1, verse 4. And we know that that's just impossible, and actually we're told that we actually have the disability of not being able to accomplish this in our own strength because we're dead in our sins and transgressions. Chapter 2, verse 1. However... The gospel 
says that Christ came. Now here's the interesting part because at the end of chapter two, we find out that Christ's sacrifice was not just for the chosen people, but rather now the gospel is extended to all who would believe that the Messiah, Jesus Christ, died for them by faith. This is wonderful news. And so now, Paul wants to pray. And his prayer is that, I hope you grow. I hope you grow spiritually mature. I hope that this grace of Christ might grow in such a place where Christ will dwell in your hearts and that you might know the full dimensions of his love so as to join in the fullness of joy that he has in being our God. Two simple but so amazing requests in prayer. He tops that all off with a wonderful doxology. What does this mean? What does this mean in our pedestrian lives? Well, let's start with the first request, that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith. Dr. Boyce, who used to stand in his pulpit years ago, did a wonderful comment about this. He said, the clue to Paul's meaning is found in his choice of the word katoiketo rather than the similar word paroiketo, both of which are sometimes rendered in the English in the word dwell. The second word, which Paul doesn't use, means to dwell in a place like a stranger, like in a hotel. You're just passing through. That is, that it is the word that would be used of a foreigner like Abram dwelling in a land not actually his own. The first word, katoikeo, which Paul does use, means to dwell in the sense of settling down in a place and making a permanent residence there. The prayer is that Christ might settle down in our hearts and control them as the rightful owner. Now this strikes at American individualism right at the core. Are you ready to have someone else provide control in your lives? And that's a big question. But may I suggest, it's really good. Years ago, a journalist by the name of Robert Munger wrote a short story entitled, My Heart, God's Home, Christ's Home. He likens a Christian's heart to the rooms in a house. Wandering throughout the study, dining room, workshop, recreational room, on the grand tour, the author imagines Christ's response to his choice of intellectual diet and pleasurable pastimes. With gentle words, Christ encourages a better way to live. Let me just read part. He said, something happened at the very center of my life. Christ came into the darkness of my heart and turned on the light. He built a fire on the hearth and banished the chill. He started music where there had been stillness and he filled the emptiness with his own loving, wonderful fellowship. But it goes on. As I followed Christ's gaze, I became uncomfortable. Strangely, I had not felt self-conscious about this before, but now that he was there looking at these things, I was embarrassed. Some books were there that his eyes were too pure to behold. On the table, there were a few magazines that a Christian had no business reading. As for the pictures on the wall, the imaginations and the thoughts of the mind, some of these were shameful. Red-faced, I turned to him and said, Master, I I know that this room needs to be cleaned up and, and made over. 
will you help me make it what it ought to be? Certainly, he said, I'm glad to help you. First of all, take all the things that you're reading and looking at, which are not helpful, pure, good, and true, and throw them out. In the dining room, Christ doesn't enjoy the favorite dishes. His favorite dishes were money, academic degrees, and stocks, with newspaper articles of fame and fortune as side dishes. In the end, the author turns over the deed of his heart to Christ, saying, here it is, all that I am and have forever. Now you run the house. I'll just remain with you as a servant and friend. Things are different since Jesus Christ has settled down and has made his home in my heart. Now someone can ask, wait, now how can Christ live in our hearts? He has a physical body, he is in heaven, he's at the right hand of the Father. What are you talking about? But you see, that's the point. It's because of Christ working holiness in us through his spirit that we may be able to become more Christ-like. The work of the Spirit takes the things of Christ and works them into us. Christ's love, Christ's holiness, Christ's compassion and mercy, Christ's forgiving heart, and Christ's desire to do the, the will of God the Father. D.A. Carson observed, make no mistake, when Christ first moves into our lives, he finds us in a very bad repair It takes a great deal of power to change us, and that is why Paul prays for power. He asks that God may so strengthen us by his power in our inner being that Christ may genuinely take up residence within us, transforming into a house that pervasively reflects his own character. Now, this can really be a wonderful piece of news. Have you read James 4 just at the beginning? Let me just read the first two verses. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire, you don't have, so you murder. You covet, you cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. Isn't this true? Just take a moment and think about that. Do you find that most of the trouble that we have in life actually starts in our own hearts? We have conflict within our own souls. We want to have life our way. But you see, this is why when Christ comes in, he gives peace to our warring passions and he brings contentment instead of covetousness. You know, chapter four of Ephesians We'll go further into depth. In chapter 4, verse 1, we are told to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Sounds convoluted, but again, we go back to chapter 1, verse 4, and realize our destiny, where we're headed, is to be living before the holy God and ourselves be holy and blameless before him. That's an amazing future that we have. We need to find how this happens. Uh, One pastor points out three thoughts that should inform our prayers to this end. First, there's nothing wrong with praying for help in the outward circumstances of life, but God's primary intention is to work within us. We ought, therefore, to focus our prayers more on the inner spiritual, spiritual matters than on the outward worldly concerns. 
Second, we should be ready to share this new way of living with others around us. 1 Peter 3.15 says, In your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Hope that is in you. What is that hope that's in you? What's the reasoning behind it? This is it. It's Christ in us. It's the way that Christ is changing our lives. It's the way that he is restoring peace when there's been conflict within. It's how he makes us more into the image of Jesus Christ. And you know what? That's really attractive. Our world, in many ways, is tearing itself apart. It needs the gospel. It needs more than the gospel. You know, the gospel can sometimes be boiled down to words. It's not. Because you can't boil something down and say, that's love. You got to see love. It's got to be lived out. You got to see a change that love brings. That's what Christ invites us to. As he takes over control, one of the things that will happen in our own lives is a love a love for Christ and a love for others. Third, we should spend more time just praising God for his blessings and asking him to glorify himself through our prayers. Think about how Jesus began the Lord's Prayer. We just prayed it. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Jesus' first prayer concern was for God to glorify himself. We should learn from that. We should take time just to sit in his presence, to be thankful for what he has done in our lives, but also what he has done in Christ, the future that we have, the joy that is ours now. Spend time. Now, Paul's second request is found in verses 17 through 19. Paul begins with the word being rooted and grounded in love. An amazing amount of ink has been made about the metaphors that are used here. They're mixed metaphors. One is botanical and the other is, um, is more architectural. And people try to say, you know, Paul just had this idea. Guess what? It was God who actually started with these mixed metaphors. It's back in the book of Jeremiah. Four times in Jeremiah's prophecy regarding Israel, his chosen people, God uproots and tears down his nation. And it's God who promises to build and plant his people. It's in Jeremiah 24, 6, 31, 28, 42, 10, and 45, 4. So here, in this part of Ephesians, it's a wonderful echo back to that. Don't you see, our God has answered that prophecy. He said, we are the ones who are being rooted and grounded in love. That prophecy has been fulfilled with what Christ has already established in our hearts. And now he invites us upon this secure seedbed and foundation to grow and to learn more of the love of God, not academically alone, but also experientially in our hearts. Some Some can do that with just reading scripture. They can actually go beyond and see how the truth will affect their lives and change. Some of us just 
need a, a bit more of being able to understand that. Great sermons have been given about this whole idea of the dimensions of Christ's love. It's amazing. Paul is not just being poetic. There's actually more truth of stretching out. Let me just take one pastor's um, take on this and just read a bit of what he has said. Breadth. The point is that now in Christ, every kind of person may come. That it's the breadth of Christ's love. When we see Jesus' arms spread on the cross, we should see an open invitation for all the world. The same is true for every category today, young and old, white and black and brown, rich and poor, educated and uneducated, churched and unchurched. Christ's love is wide enough to embrace them all. Length. Christ loved us in eternity past when we were chosen in him before the foundation of the world. Ephesians 1.4. Christ's love extends into eternity future when we will be heirs together with him in glory. Romans 8, 17. Height. The height of Christ's love rises higher still up into heaven, raising sinners up to dwell with him in the heavenly places with every spiritual blessing. Ephesians 1, 3. And depth. Alexander McLaren, a saint from yesteryear, writes, My sins are deep. My helpless miseries are deep. But they are shallow as compared with the love that goes down beneath all sin. How deep is the love of Christ? The depths of Christ's love go down beneath all human necessity, sorrow, suffering, and sin. But you see, Paul wants us to go beyond this. He wants us to really be able to get our hands around Christ's love and, and have that drawn closer to our hearts. It needs to be part of our everyday experience with our Lord. I was visiting Henry Riggs this week. He's one of our friends who's in hospital right now in the VA. And I often do this when people are stuck in hospital. I say, you know what? I'm preaching on Sunday. I need help. Let's look at the passage. And I said, so when was the last time that you personally knew of the love of Christ for you? He said, oh, that's easy. I said, really? He said, yeah. He said, my wife and I just went out to buy a house. And we asked before and after every house that we saw if God would make it clear to us which was going to be the one that he had set aside for us because we really believed that this was the day that we were going to finally find the house. And he said we went to a number of houses, but when we pulled up to one, before we prayed, we looked over, and there in the front yard was a Japanese maple tree, our favorite. And we just looked at each other, and we just smiled because we knew... This is the one. Now you say, oh, come on, that's, that's crazy. That's fallacious. Yeah, how can, you, how can you say that that was God's choice? I didn't say it. He said it. You see, he had spent so much time with God and he was so convinced that God would show him, he was able to say, that's God's sign for us. And sure enough, that's the house they bought. Johnny Erickson Tata has had a hard life. I read an article just recently where she confesses that she has reached the milestone of 55 years of quadriplegia. Not to mention two bouts of cancer, severe breathing issues, COVID-19, and chronic pain. But she says, I hold tightly to Acts 20, verse 24. Quote, 
I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace, unquote. Do Johnny's words ring hollow? Do you think that what she is saying is ingenuous? Or are they a quiet thunderclap of truth that challenges us to be so in love with God, to be so full of him that normal problems are glorious challenges met by his power, love, and presence. Isaiah 61.3, fascinating verse. They are given a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit. Oh, by the way, let me keep on going and read the rest of the verse because it shares the new identity of the recipients. That they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord. You see, the idea that we are planted is not new. Our God desires that we indeed will be planted and that we will flourish in our lives because Christ dwells in our hearts through faith, that he dwells in us through faith. You know, in some Eastern religions, the ultimate is when your personality melds into the universe. There are others that have God's personality melding into the people. But our call is that we might become more like Christ. That Christ may dwell in our hearts so that we may grow more like him. Now this involves spiritual work and resolve on our parts. It doesn't just happen. You don't just lean back and say, oh God, bless me, change me, thank you. It doesn't work like that. Hallelujah. Our God has created us so that we might engage with him. We won't be just targets of grace, but that we might be participants in grace. Rick Phillips, who also used to stand in this pulpit, wisely offers three priorities for every Christian. Our first priority, if we will be filled with God, is to yield our minds to the teaching of his word. Second, that we must yield our emotions to be formed and molded by God's own heart. And third, we must have God ruling over our wills if we are to be filled with all his fullness. Yes, Paul's prayer is that control might be given to Christ, that we might give that over to him. That his love may so rule in our lives that we may actually be like him. But so that we might enjoy the fullness of God's joy in our hearts. 
This is kind of a preview of what's going to come in the next few chapters of Ephesians. In Ephesians 4.1, we are told that we should walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which we have been called by the Spirit. The Spirit is the one who gives us the power to help do that. Paul is pointing forward and saying, oh, we got more to say. But have you ever looked at 5? In 5 verse 2, it also talks about walking, but this time it says, walk in love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. This is a perfect prayer as we sit around this table. This table is one that is provided because of Christ's love. He sacrificed his life to provide this meal for us. But also he is the host because he lives. He is the one who says, come, I desire to serve you, my people, my church, my loved ones. So let's come now to celebrate. Lord, we give you thanks for this word. And we pray that as we come now to sit around this table, you will bless our communion with you. Come, meet with us, be our host, for it's in Christ's name that we pray, amen.